Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Paul. This is Jay. Hello and welcome to the Tri-Tech Podcast. Your podcast for chopping your limbs off and putting them on with metal ones. Because flesh is weak. This week we're talking about cyberpunk. And joining us is a special guest, Mr. Jay Libby. How's it going guys? All right, so guys, you were talking about for weapons, for the, the mechanical types. The one kind we haven't talked about is probably one of my favorite, but I've never dared put it into a character. And that is the one where you replace part of your gut with a little housing. And inside you have this robotic crazed weasel that comes out and attacks people for you. <laughs> oh, like a cyber snake type of thing. Yeah, I mean, well, whatever it is. I mean, it's a robot, and it goes out and attacks people for you and goes back inside, and you, and you knit back up again. You know, that was just always too crazy of a concept for me ever to embrace, but I loved that it was in the game. Well, you know, uh, in, yeah, in Cyberpunk 2020, they have uh, they call it the Cyber Snake, and you can put it in uh, any orifice. Wow. Just, yeah. 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 It, and you can have multiple ones if you wish. Just dig that hole deeper, Blakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I heard you had a tapeworm. Oh, it's not a tapeworm. <laughs> wow, look up there. That's the gutter. Yeah. <laughs> Those weapons are fun. And, and Bruce, you were talking about uh, like the mono whips and the and the vibro swords and stuff like that. I, I actually really do like those. I think those are a lot of fun to have. I I know a guy one time he had the Wolvers, so he had the big three blades came out of each hand. He had them made out of the mono blades material, so he had mono Wolvers. That was pretty crazy. It's weird for me with weapons that I have in a game, despite oh all these genetic enhancements and all this and wetware. Give me something that fires bullets. Right. Relatively low-tech Friday Night Superhero campaign I ran, it would have been considered cyberpunk because everybody had genetic enhancements and wetware, yet energy weapons were used very rarely. You had guns, you know, firearms. What about the fire-and-forget bullets? That goes way back. That was a Stallone, wasn't it? Not Stallone, uh, Magnum P.I., Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Tom Selleck. Right, right. Tom Selleck movie. That was, dude, that was a total cyberpunk movie. Oh, the one with uh, Gene Simmons. Yeah. With the gadgets and stuff. Runaway. 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 What a terrifically horrible movie that was. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it had Jane Seymour in it. That's a redeeming feature. The thing is, here's the funny part. In larger caliber bullets, they're now considering making bullets. You can actually have built in uh, targeting and, and course correction now. Oh, boy. That's in 20 millimeter. Yeah. Nice. nice. Wow. It basically uses a base bleed system and a little seeker nose. And it, yeah, it jets. It's spinning and it tapers off the gas. So it, it yeah, it actually curves. 
let me put this one out there. So we're talking about weapons in a cyberpunk campaign. Now, this is something that they didn't write about in the 80s and 90s because it really wasn't in the, the forefront of technology today. They, I don't think they had considered how prominent this was going to be. They mention it, but they don't really get into it the way I think it's going to be. Your drones. I think you're going to have a lot of personal drones and stuff. I mean, I've, I've seen – at my work, we, we're starting to get into some, some of the drone technology for detection and stuff like that. I can see those, you know, those little quadcopters and stuff. Imagine you got one of those. It's like a grenade. So you can build the little quadcopter cheap. I mean, you, you can build one of those for like 30 bucks or 40 bucks if you're using, you know, mass-produced parts. Imagine in the center of that thing, you know, is a high-explosive fragmentating grenade. And you've got an enemy on the other side of the wall. Well, you pull that little thing out, click them on, pull out your, uh, your your digital screen, whether that's built into your head or your glasses. Or, no, no, voice activation. Other or, side of the wall, detonate, go. Or you just <laughs> paint it. You just paint the wall. However you control it. But you could control it. I mean, you could literally have like a little tiny view screen. Like maybe it's built into your arm. You got like a, a what they, the, what is it, the biomonitor. Where this thing flies over and you could say, oh, yeah, there he is. Oh, wait, okay, no, don't blow it up because uh, he's got – there's a couple kids over there hiding behind a trash can or, or, or whatever. They have that suicide drone now called Switchblade. Yeah. Guy takes out this off his backpack. He sets the backpack on the ground. So he takes the, the, the wing system, rotates it 90 degrees because it's parallel to the body. You rotate it 90 degrees. Now it's perpendicular like a normal set of wings. And you launch this thing in the air, and you can use it as a drone, see where the bad guys are. And if somebody's really valuable, you nosedive that thing right into somebody, and it's the equivalent of like a 60-millimeter mortar shell or something. Ow! Well, here's here's another thing. Let's say you got sniper fire, right? You guys get pinned down by a sniper. You pull out your drone, you go sniff him out. And you basically just toss it in the air. And when the guy fires another shot, the thing triangulates the sound and goes over and blows him up. Well, that's where you also have your counter-battery snipers who basically are trying to figure out where he is so they can counter-battery him at that point. You know, and just go, there he is, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, and you know. he's got him too, so yeah. Yep. Appleseed, either the movies or the comics, delve into that really strongly because they they have the electronic countermeasures for, against other Borg cyborgs. Yeah. Also in uh, Ghost in the Shell, Solid State Society, there's a sniper duel, and they're both using GPS to target each other. <laughs> nice. Oh, you're also forgetting this is the far future, Sue. So you have custom weapons that you can release, and it gets that specific person in a crowd of 10,000 mm-hmm. right. by homing in on their their own personal pheromone signature. Oh, you're talking about drones. I'm also thinking of the spider bots from Minor- Mi- Minority Report. Yeah. You know, they're going around looking for somebody. See, open your eyes, scan, scan, not the person, bye. <laughs> and John, you know, when I say drone, I mean, drone does not have to be a flyer. It could be a walker or a roller or any, you know, anything like that. You know, you, you pull out a little swimmer, true swimmer. Let's say you, um, you have a little disc that maybe doesn't have legs like the spider drone it has little tiny wheels or something on it. So you got a guy on the other side of a wall behind a door. You set that little disc on the ground, and the thing rolls under the door, slides under the door, and then blows up. Oh, great. An assassin Roomba. Yeah. <laughs> but they've got ones that right now can go upstairs. They've got a little side panel on it, and it basically causes it to jump up. So it rolls under the door, jumps up, and explodes in the guy's face. Yeah. You've seen the, the grenade over? You don't, you don't use a grenade. You use a shape charge. 
and it has and you just simply aim the shape charge at the bad guy. Yeah, there'll be a little bit of a splash over on other people, but more more or less the charge will hit the the bad guy. And I mean, and you don't even have to do that. I mean, you could use sleep gas. You could use. I mean, there's all kinds of alternatives. You know, you use a sleep gas that's heavier than air. You fly this thing up over his head and you drop. You have working sleep gas that doesn't kill people. Right. Yeah, I'm talking real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you have other stuff like you know the boa constrictor bot that doubles as a taser? If your little flying bot's fast enough, it's it's its own bullet. Yeah, yeah, sure. We talked about EMP some, and I think EMP makes a good weapon. But, you know, I, I see in the future it's not going to be the end-all, be-all because there's also EMP shielding. Like when we play Cyberpunk, we barely use the EMP stuff because every time we've tried to use an EMP grenade for something, you know, the enemy's generally shielded. And the game master says, really? You didn't think he was going to be shielded? It's like, okay. I mean, they have their place. You'd roll that into a room where... They got some cybernetics and stuff, but they're kind of low tech or whatever. Or if you're trying to shut down cameras and stuff, because generally if it's a defense camera system and if it's not like a really secure building, like say it's an apartment building or something like that, it works great there. It's shielding. It's not protection. So if you have a powerful enough EMP blast, you'll take them down. Yeah. Trouble is, is how how much you're willing to put into the dang thing to get that. Because then you got to make sure how complex your Faraday cage is. If you're saying, oh, yeah, well, I got these I got these grenades that'll get through just about anything, it's like, you better throw it far enough. Oh, and the problem with Faraday cages, they need, they need to be grounded. If they're not grounded, they're, they're worthless. So what's the cyberpunk if you're in a city? I actually got a place because it was actually, and it comes from a, a John Bruner novel, Stand in Zanzibar, which is sort of a cyberpunk novel. But the person who lived in the house, uh, she lived in a little apartment, probably about 300 square feet. Or four square feet, and to make sure no one get get to her door, there was a there was a one ton dead drop. Oh, okay, someone breaks Ow. in and it's not her. One ton dead drop comes down, <laughs> and they also had dissolving books. He goes to the library. Of course, this is before electronic books and so like that. But they had you know you go to the library, you check out some books, you read them at home. Then you got to remember to put them on the in the either trash or in the sink or on a tray because then when when they expire, they expire and they go to go. In the, in the sludge God. but yeah i see um you know these these megalopolises and such if, if you're not wealthy you know population increase and such you're going to be living people are going to be living in small 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 places decker was rich because he lived in a mansion well it's because he's a blade runner right well or maybe or, or is he uh <laughs> You know, in Cyberpunk 2020, a lot of people live in what they call coffins. So your whole place is the size of something the size of a coffin. So you climb in there, you slide your bag in, you climb in there, and you go to sleep at night. And that's pretty much your place. The capsule hotel. Exactly. Yeah, in Japan, yeah. Another good example would be from, and this is not technically a Cyberpunk movie, The Fifth Element. Corbin mm-hmm. Dallas's apartment where things slid in and out of the wall. That room was maybe what eight feet by twelve, and that was his entire domicile. I, I see Fifth Element as being like a high level cyberpunk. I, that that has a cyberpunk feel to it. It's a very dystopian future, but it's it's delving into sci fi though, like twenty sixth century or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Though, if you think about it, he does have extra storage. I mean, everything went down to the floor, which means he actually had storage under the floor, just not in the room. So, so housing. I mean, they're gonna and you're gonna have cool stuff. You know, you're gonna. I mean, it's it's the future, so you're gonna have neat, neat stuff in your house. Anybody else read uh, a comic book called New York Year Zero? That sounds familiar. 
it's a short series, like six episodes. The hero takes refuge in a capsule hotel, the coffin box. Right. And in this future to like limit crime, when you get in, it locks for 12 hours. You can't get out. Ah. But you're playing Russian roulette. There's a chance you will die. You will die. You'll get killed by this thing. Some of them, because they seal so tightly, the air system has failed and you suffocate. Oh, nice. Okay. And there are others that the very desperate, very vicious future version of the Norway rat hunts in packs. Oh, nice. And it finds one that's weak. And it goes inside for the juicy prize. Oh, nice. Nice. La machine. <laughs> it's describing the comic book. He's sitting there going, please, God, please let this thing work. <laughs> he's you know, terrified. Please let this open in 12 hours. And he's thinking of all the bad things that could go wrong. And he's in this coffin-sized rectangular box where you open the end door and you slide in feet first. And he's, he's, he's praying, you know, these things can't go wrong. And they kind of do this cutaway view. And on each side of him, the person on the right is beating on the door because they have no air. Right. And the person on the left is being consumed to bones by, by like 40 rats. Nice. Nice. And that's a comic book called New York Year Zero, and New York is a is a megatropolis that swallows up like New York State and Maryland and Delaware and Long Island and everything around it. In the book Ready Player One, they had this they had in, in the urban sprawl areas, it was it was in uh, I think it was Ohio or Iowa, I can't remember which it was specified, but it's in the Midwest. What they had done is gasoline had gotten so expensive and so rare that people stopped driving so much and people had like mobile homes and stuff they would park them in these these big parks and it was like that was it they were they didn't go anywhere since then so what they started doing because so many of them were showing up they started they would build these this framework and they would take these mobile homes and they would stack them on top of each other these rvs like you know like um like you know uh, winnebago's and such and they would they would stack these winnebago's on top of each other and they'd stack these things like 20 winnebago's high and uh, on this like framework lattice, and and the 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 hero of the book, that's what he lives in. He lives in one of those with like eleven people. You know, in China now, they're, they're in various places uh, f- for housing shortages. They're using cargo containers stacked up. Cargo containers are pretty cool. They do the same thing in Belgium. That great big floating cargo container that's been turned into a sort of a six hundred resident mini city. That they're kind of cool though. I mean, they're very structurally sound. As long as you don't put anything on the walls, the sides, or the bottom, it's only reinforced at the corners and along the edges. Well, Believe me, I know. Don't put windows in. Our people tried to put a, a sandbag position on top of a Connex, and it buckled and, and kind of sagged in. <laughs> because the top isn't reinforced. There's no structural bars. The, the frame itself, the sides exist only so the cargo doesn't fall out. There, I've seen some people do the modification. It's it's thin sheet steel. It's not structural. I'll tell you what, though. It seems like it's in a lot of ways. It's it's easily a structural. Some of these new houses they're building. Well, the only thing structural on a, a car container is the floor. Sides aren't. They don't need to be structural. Yeah, the sides and the top aren't structural. Have you seen how they build modern houses? True. The outside wall is a thick foam. Yeah, but you have the the frame itself at the corners. That's the way the it's a foam core with variable strand plywood on the other side making a sandwich. 
and they just sort of slip together and you just bolt and glue. <laughs> yeah, nowadays they call them modular homes. It's manufactured in a big factory and it's delivered to your site and assembled like Lincoln Logs of Blocks. You want to see a cool cargo container house? Watch the movie Tron Legacy. That's what the hero's living in in the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's a cool place. I like that. Or Neuromancer takes place on, the, on that bridge. There, all those are container build, container housing in that one sequence when he's on the saw, bridge. Saw one where uh, somebody you know, is a challenge from, I think it's M- MIT, Future Housing, and they incorporated RV parts into a cargo container. And you know how you know RVs have slide-outs now? Yeah. So you set this in and you want more space, you unbuckle this thing and you slide out your living room. Because they're only eight feet wide. Actually, I've seen uh, pop-up uh, shops and what they've done in those, they've actually put in reinforcements. They've actually reinforced around the windows they cut, or at least the, the sides of the, the doors they cut into the sides. Because yeah. the, the entire side folds up and then there's reinforcements on the roof and sides. So it actually is a little bit more structural, but it's a pop-up shop. That one from MIT has structural members added to it and stuff like that. And we buried one in the military. And to do that properly, you actually have to turn the Connex on its top and the floor becomes the roof. I think they're making the Connex, the Connex buildings, I think they're making them tougher now because I've been in a couple of those on bases. And those things look like if there was a hurricane or something, that's where I would be. Because inside of those, they look very structurally sound. Well, it could change. I mean, it's changed, but I'm talking about your basic Connex that comes off the ship that is meant to haul cargo. I think these are made to be habitats. They're purpose built as habitats with that shape in mind. So, so they can put them on 18 wheelers and move them. But then when they get on site, they take them off and they become the building. Right. They, ha- they have an ISO standard, yeah. which governs height, width, and length. Yeah. Now, there's horror stories. Uh, I was served, I was in the military, and the old Nike Herc uh, uh, control vans were made of a magnesium alloy. Oh, nice. And they said, if, if there's ever a fire, run. Yeah. When I was in Kosovo, our structures were basically those connexes where they were built as abs. And they told us, you have a minute and 30 seconds to get out of this from the moment you hear the fire alarm. Because... If you don't make it out in a minute and 30 seconds, by that time, the temperature will rise high enough to just cremate you. They made a portable thermite. Let's touch on vehicles real quick. So cyberpunk vehicles. Aerodynes. Motorcycles. Aerodynes. Motorcycles are big. The Pegasus class Aerodyne that was like in cyberpunk, the thing that had the vectored control jets. And it was sometimes it was a delivery van. Sometimes it was the ambulance, whatever. But it used a forced air downdraft to fly. I think it was a, it was a variation of the Osprey. It was a variation of the Harrier. Yeah, it was more like a Harrier, John. Dude, it, it was pretty much basically like the Blade Runner uh, ideal. Oh, there you go. The Blade Runner car, too. Of course, it probably has a you know thousand horsepower engine inside of it just to make it work. Those vehicles are for the rich or for the government or you know like special purposes for deep pockets, basically. Because first off, you have to buy the thing, which is going to be expensive, and then the gas. Oh my God, the gas to pay for that because you can't have a cyberpunk setting where gas is plentiful and cheap. It's the far future, and life is cheap. Why not? Why not? Well, because then it's not. It, to me, it doesn't feel like it's cyberpunk. It's gas has got to be expensive because that's your your resource. That, that Kira's bike was battery powered, electrical. Yeah, it had it actually wheel motors. 
both both wheels were had motors in them. Now you you could go with a different direction. You could say, hey, this is cyberpunk. It's the future. They discovered a way to make oil cheaper, or they found new reserves, or they use something else for power, so they don't have to put gas in cars. Only a few cars have gas in them. You can do that. I thought it was one was one was using frozen methane, and it would thaw out enough, and then convert it to a gas, and then pressurize it. Someone's actually working on a liquid with hydrogen engine. Oh, that's uh-huh. it. Was an offshoot of uh, sewer technology, since you had, you know, a few extra billion human beings and their output, methane was an abundant resource. Well, guys, you know, you got to remember electricity, we've already established that we have a, a moon base, right? And they're, they're, they are, what are they mining? Hydrogen, was it hydrogen three? Helium three. Helium three, sorry, helium three. They must be mining helium three, which means we have abundant power. On an orbital Bassard scoop, catching that hydrogen coming off the sun. You get more helium three by mining it off of Jupiter or Saturn, but well, yeah, but that's a long trip. It's just a longer trip. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's considering we haven't even found it yet. That's real good. Di- the distance <laughs> would be quite cost prohibitive. Yes. <laughs> if you're going that far, then you got stable liquid liquid metal hydrogen. Guys, we don't have to go that far. We don't have to go crazy. We're talking about a dystopian future where corporations are running the show. You have nuclear power plants everywhere. You don't have pesky governments because if one of those blows up, who cares? Just a few thousand. Oh, well, then you have the corporation that's built the orbital cannon that runs up the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the maglev cannon that you put X number of tons of material on it, and it starts out somewhere up around the Mediterranean, and it's slowly gaining you know, 100 kilometers per hour for every 100 miles. And then by the time it reaches the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, it's running at like... 5,000 kph. It's more efficient to stick the dang thing on the moon. We've already got a base there. You don't have to worry about getting it off the, the surface. Oh, no, this is just to che- get things cheaply off the Earth and into orbit. Oh, okay. All right. Now, if we're talking vehicles also, buses and monorails figured in highly. But again, then again, these are the dystopian buses and monorails. So, yeah, you, you go in armed and ready to be, ready to be uh, preyed upon. Yeah, let's not forget <laughs> about the tubes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else read Friday? The underground, they goes overground. Right. In Heinlein's uh, book Friday, there's two ends of the spectrum. The character catches a a transorbital flight from uh, New Zealand to the UK or to Canada or back or something like that in like two hours. But when they get to the other end to New Zealand, they got the Christchurch, New Zealand. Cars are outlawed. So they have to take a hackney cab with horses. <laughs> wow! I can see. I can easily see guys, or, you know, bicycle rickshaws. Right, pedicabs. Pedicabs. Humans are cheap. And don't forget, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to be traveling because one of the things that I think is underwritten in cyberpunk settings is the fact that you know people are going to be working online. So a lot of people, a lot of your travels is going to be online. Or you live in the same arcology. Right. Your work, your play, and your home are all in the same building. You have no reason to leave it. And considering the kind of buildings they're building today, flash forward, I mean, you look at that thing in Dubai, which is, is insane. Jeez, yeah. I mean, that's not even the biggest building. There's another one being built right now that's bigger than that. You know, there's a little dirty secret for those, some of those buildings. They only go up to about the height of the uh, Empire State Building for occupancy. The rest of it are all vanity. 
but the bases of them are humongous. Yeah. Because of the way they're built. So the, so the bases of those things are three and four times the, the width of the Empire State Building. So you're talking about total volume of occupancy. You're right. You've got a little miniature city in there. You never have to leave the building. And, and it's as dangerous as it is outside. Why would you? Now imagine how weirdly inbred one building could become. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. No, you're right. Exactly. You walk into the the new, 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 freshly redone Empire State Building and you hear banjo music. Nobody ever leaves. And it ha- and it began with a population of five thousand, and it's been fifty years. Residents check in, but they don't check out. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine the strange looks when you walk in, and you're a new person at Twentieth and Park. You're a, a, an unknown face. And and you know what? Considering considering the world around you and stuff, you may like that. Or building clans. Yeah. Hey, you're not from floor 11. Oh. What are you doing on floor 11? Right, right. So that actually brings up a good question. Who travels then? Who actually makes use of these suborbital flights around the world? I kind of think I think it's, it's corporate masters and business people. No, because they, they do most of their business online. Why would they have to travel? No, they're still the super rich. The super rich. They travel because they can. You would still need to have people outside of these arcologies and aquologies because there's just certain jobs that need the hands-on. Yeah, you know who would be doing it? It'd be technicians. Yeah. Technicians would be doing a lot of your traveling. Specialized. You know, we used to joke in security. You know who has the highest security clearance on the building? The janitor. The janitor. <laughs> he has a key to every room. It'd be like, you know, you'd have these guys where it's just like, you know, you, um, you, how do you like fixing air conditioning units? I'm, I'm using, I'm going straight to Brazil on this one. So, <laughs> yeah. No, you know what t- job terrifies me? What's that? It's the telephone repairman that has to climb that tower. Oh yeah. That's at the top of the skyscraper. Yeah. You're already like 96 floors above the ground and then you've got to climb this super narrow little tower another 80 or 90 feet. It's the guy who has to go up to change the light bulb for the aircraft warning system. Yeah. Hey, you know what else is scary? The guy who has to go down in the sewer. Yeah, because there's probably more locks down there. Yeah, not in this far future where you're growing new species. Yeah, and you're, you're giant Norway rats. So, so what do computers look like? Um, they don't look like computers like we look at. Yep, I don't think so either. They're plumbing. I think they're invisible. Yeah, like I said, they're plumbing. You don't worry about what kind of pipes are in your wall. You just know you turn the tap on, you get water. Yeah. You, pl- you, you walk in, you talk, and say, computer, uh, you go, uh, turn the news on, and the TV comes on. Because it's all plumbing, basically. One of the things I was reading about that I, there was a potential future is that instead of people having their own personal computers, they would have their own personal data packages, which would be very small, and there would be computers everywhere. Let's say you wanted to surf the internet. You'd get on a bus, and the back of the seat would be a computer. You would you know, touch the screen or do whatever it is to activate it, and it would know who you are, and it would, it, your preferences would pop up because that's what you'd carry around with you, or it'd recognize you by your signature or your code or whatever and it would access that information online somewhere in the cloud minority report again tom cruise is walking through the store he's getting ads beamed at him that are personal to him okay that one i see that happening in the future and i i hate that that's like a nightmare to me the smart lights that i mentioned earlier mm-hmm. 
in the setting, the Otherverse America setting, it's nanite-filled air. You walk by, you can just make a hand motion, and there's a screen there, and yeah, it's public use, but that means you get deluged by ads because you've accessed it, it knows who you are, and yeah, you get these tailored ads like how Gmail has them. There's a system called Hypersound. It's a system that, that allows you to beam sound on a, on a hypersonic carrier wave, so only the person the, 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 the beam is aimed at can hear it. Huh. So, so yeah, you can be walking down, and, and yeah, all you can hear all these ads going off in your head, because it's, at that point it becomes bone conduction. So you'll be hearing voices in your head telling you to, to, to buy this and buy that, or, or come visit us for something or like, like that. That's he- that sounds like hell to me. <laughs> I mean, like really, like hell, like like real hell. <laughs> that sounds like Space Merchants. Did you ever read, ever read Space Merchants? No. Oh, it's an old old novel, but pretty much it covers advertising. And it, it, there's a sequel written to it that basically covered that cut with the, with the advances in in uh, advertising. And yeah, that's what happened. People game you know, and occasionally you if you look at something, if you look at the wrong screen, it'll hit you with the with the humble collectors virus. So you, now you want to do is collect nothing but humble figures. Oh God, that sounds awful. <laughs> you know, but. In this future, you also, besides the high tech, you know, when you go shopping or something else, don't forget, like in Blade Runner and whatnot, in uh, that episode of Doctor Who where they go to a far future space station, that the low tech version exists side by side because labor and people are cheap. You know, the, the roll up screen, hey, what do you want? Bowl of noodles. Guy gives you the one credit bowl of noodles. And then there's the guys who find a big flat space on top of a building and put dirt up there and they start a farm and they sell their vegetables down the street, you know, for wherever they can get real. This is real tomatoes here. Have one. Some book I was reading where they, in the future, they converted a skyscraper, the full South side exposure into a greenhouse. There's going to be a lot of that. They're already talking about doing that kind of stuff. I've seen some really cool dwarf trees. There's one called the uh, fruit cocktail tree. It's a standard apple tree, and then they graft on a branch for a plum. They graft on a branch Sweet. for wow a peach, and because the graft joins the the interior structure of the of the apple, and it recognizes it as part of the tree. You have this tree, and those grafts continue to grow the food fruit that they would have if they were part of that tree. Still, oh, I want one of those. You can go down to your uh, greenhouse store today and get one. It's called a fruit cocktail tree. Sweet. Mm. And then tailored to your local climate. So you won't be trying growing oranges up here in Washington State. Right. If you're in Florida or Southern California, you can get the citrus version. Ah. Where your tree grows lemons, limes, and apples. Or lemon, limes, and oranges, sorry. And grapefruit. And grapefruits, yeah. And avocado. Oh, yeah. Okay. But that's an example of how your arcology in the far future can be self-sustaining. And you can go to a really eclectic person's part of the arcology and you, you go, okay, here's a, here's a house. You open the door and you're like, oh my God, it's a jungle in here. And here's a guy who has a living walls, a, a, an orchard. Dwarf grass for carpet. Yeah, and robotic pollinators. No, I, I, do, I do also remember from, if you ever watched the early Bubblegum Crisis uh, series, the other thing you notice is you, as you get an aerial view of the city, with the sun behind you is all these solar panels of every roof, every surface, everywhere. Because power is a premium. Yeah. Appleseed has that too. There's a sequence they show the sun coming up 
And in the anime, all of these solar panels stand up and the solar trackers come on and they all pivot together right. at once to catch the sun. Right. Don't forget in this far future that your city can, has all these great areas that are functional live-in, but sometimes it's not worth it to save one and they just abandon it. Oh, yeah. Like the apartment building that the guy with the Methuselah syndrome has in the movie Blade Runner, where he's the only occupant in a building with like, what, a thousand apartments in it? Yeah. Yeah. Or Detroit right now. <laughs> yeah. I love that website. Images of abandoned Detroit it has the, the DeSoto building. The There's a building downtown. And you can use that stuff for your cyberpunk adventures. You know, you, you can you can have those abandoned buildings because that's, that's great places to have adventures. The two that make me want to cry was the library. That was just they just locked the door, walked away, and there's like 10,000 books rotting on the shelf. And the other one was uh, elementary school. And they make great images for your game. So speaking of adventures, what are the challenges in a cyberpunk campaign? What are we looking to do? What is there to do? You know, most of the stuff that we usually do is corporation hires you to do a mission to either take someone out or capture someone or get someone freed. That's all like, well, that, that's, that's your generic. That's your D&D inn. We just went to the inn and we got a patron. Yeah, that's, that's a generic. So, but, but where else can we go with this? I use uh, game systems where we look. I look at the characters and say, "Okay, ah, okay, this is all self-driven." You know, the guy you know at the bar you have a connection with is is being getting muscled by someone else. So you're going to do him a favor, which means you need to call your connections to the other players, and you basically build this web web together. You don't meet in the bar. You don't meet in the bar. You could meet in the bar, but you know you could build your connections. And depending on the connections, you may actually have one player who's connected to the person who's doing the muscling. Well, how does that tie into the cyberpunk thing? The characters themselves are all cyberpunk. You know, we're talking, you know, you have a bar. You know, basically, it's a nightclub. I mean, this is where you go and rave, and the guy up there stands up at the stage, and he basically is in the air, moving his hands around, making music play, and the and the, the character you're talking about is the guy who has an implant in his head that lets him do, you know, uh, uh, something special. And, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's the setting, and, yeah, it's also, you know, you're, it's all the little people. It's a little people scenario, not a big person scenario. You're dealing with the life and times in that little city. You're, you're wondering, okay, you got connections. They got, they got a gang moving in, and they're all okay. hyped up on, on – with, uh, with, they all got augmentations of some sort. And right. you got other things. And you're trying to deal with it all, and at the same time, trying to survive in the this, in this, in this setting. All right. Trav? extraction right you're having to go in to get somebody mm -hmm. out of a jail or you're actually kidnapping them from another corporate enclave like a, co a corporation hires you to say okay we want this scientist he wants to leave he's let us know but he can't get out right. go in and get them in and out quick like a duck mating you know and of course you have your net runners and then mm -hmm. you got your Wetworks team, as it were, and I, I, I've had to look over gaming cyberpunk glossaries for research in the day, so these little terms will pop up. So you have the guys there with the guns, and they're doing the physical work. Then you got the hackers bypassing the security system, so you can get in and get through without dealing with impediments of a physical and a mechanical variety. Yeah. Say, hey, Bruce. Okay. Yeah, so what have you uh what kind of adventures are, are are have you run that are very cyberpunk centric? The bodyguard missions. 
is supposed to be watching over somebody. It might be somebody trivial, but they're important enough that they need to hire a bodyguard. They hire you and your team. Or you could be the person who's the courier. And if you're not that important, you could be the person who's the courier of the fake package. Right. Drawing off the fire from the people who are carrying the real package. Or you could be the person who's carrying a package because they want you to get caught because the package is a bomb. Okay. Being the bodyguard, being the courier are the two like mainstays of low-level cyberpunk type adventures. Then, of course, you have the assault runs. As Trav puts, you've got the extraction, either person or items. Beyond that, it's, it's a little bit more setting-specific. Yeah, I think if you want to get a little dark, you know, you always have you have the hit, you know, where you're you're hired to to take out somebody or a team of people or blow something up. That's the assault, yeah. The investigation, your team is hired to find out the source of the chemical spill, the whatever corporate nefarious act. Your journalists or your activists or your or your people who have been wronged by this and you're going in to find out so you can build a case and take them to court. Or, or maybe you're, you're anarchists and you're just trying to like stick it to the man any way you can. You're nihilists. It's all going to break down anyway. All, everything is entropy. You want to see the city burn. Yeah. One of the things you don't see very often is the pilgrimage. Oh, okay. You know, where you basically have a long journey, like a hero's quest, in order for you or this group of people you're with is to reach some location that was of, that is either of significance or was of significance. Right. There's the one where you have the people who are moving out of the bad part of the city because they've the fabled good part is just oh, it's just two blocks. Right. That's the bodyguard. You're not protecting the group. You are the group. Oh, okay. It's your family group or a collection of families, and you pick up and move together. That's kind of a pilgrimage, right? Mm-hmm. Bruce, maybe this is sort of a pilgrimage or maybe a retreat, but you could you could even do – if you want to do like an epic – you know, an, a night that's, that's something that's kind of epic, you could have the, you know, the, the, the gray ooze gets loose, and you're trying to escape the city as this stuff is spreading everywhere. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe uh, you, you've got inside knowledge that someone's about to drop a rock on your city and you're trying to get out of there before it hits. Or maybe you're trying to stop it from happening. The evacuation. Your part of the city has been abandoned. You have to evacuate because infrastructure and all city, city services are shut down forever. You know, one of the um, low-tech examples of this was the gauntlet with Clint Eastwood, where he was trying to get a, a witness to, like, a grand jury. And the police had all been told that he was a terrorist and he was coming in to blow up the entire building. So everywhere along the way, the whole route in, he was being assaulted with gunfire and things like that. And he had had to armor up this huge bus in order to get in there close enough to deliver this woman, this, this witness, to the grand jury. Mm. Running a gauntlet is kind of like what you're talking about, escaping the gray ooze, because you're being assaulted the whole way, either by either the ooze itself or by people who are trying to slow you down so that they can get ahead. You also have the flip side of the evacuation. You have the engineering specialist team. You were outside hired. You're going to you're going down to the basement level, the deep, the depths of the building, and you're going to reconnect this building to the city power grid or city water. You've been hired for that special dangerous mission because we don't know what's in the basement. 
Speaking of, of crazy stuff like, you know, like we don't know what's in the basement type of stuff, you know, one of the things that we've we've completely glossed over that I, I said we were going to touch on and I think we should touch on it just real quick is the the other type of cyberpunk campaigns with the, you know, the, the horror aspect or the, the mystical aspect. So, you know, we haven't touched Shadowrun at all. And Shadowrun's a big cyberpunk game. And I'm sure there's some people who have been screaming at their, their radios going, you're not talking about Shadowrun. Um, or, or Cthulhu punk type of stuff. There was a supplement out for Cyberpunk 2020 that had Cthulhu type tech, and I can't remember the name of it at the moment, but it had like a tentacle arm. So they had like they had like a cyber arm that would split into five tentacles. And basically when it came back together, it reformed what looked like an arm, but each fingertip, you know, each finger was was the end of one of the tentacles. But it, this thing could split apart like like a manga, you know. You know, and then they had like these these eyes that could see spirits and stuff. And then, of course, they had thrown vampires and stuff into it. And there's no reason why you can't have that in your cyberpunk campaign. As a matter of fact, it, it might make for a really fun equalizing type of thing. You know, it's like, you know, let's say your your game master is going to say, all right, we're going to run a cyberpunk campaign. You're like, dude, I, I don't want to play a cyberpunk type character. I don't, I don't want to have cybernetics and stuff. But, you know, I also don't want to be outclassed by everybody else in the party. You know, they might say, well, I was kind of planning on having some, some supernatural stuff in there, so do you want to play a vampire or do you want to play maybe a werewolf? That could be a lot of fun, you know, mixing mixing the like World of Darkness type stuff with cyberpunk. So one of your adventures, you know, going into that basement or going into the sewers or going into the abandoned part of the cities uh, might be quite terrifying. Didn't White Wolf games with their werewolf and Vampire the Masquerade touch on a far future version of that? They may have, and I can't remember what it was. Was it Alternity? Was that it? No, that was a different system. No, that that's TSR. Okay, they they touched on something. You're right. There there was a, a White Wolf sci-fi setting. You know, I just want to say that we we should touch on it just a little bit. You know, uh, did you guys ever play Shadowrun? Uh, no, I haven't. But I've I had friends who have, and there's stories that they've had a great time when they played it. So just a variation on D and D to me. It's basically cyberpunk with orcs, and uh, I don't think it's a big difference. Well, you have magic waging war with high tech. Which one wins? But but all the stuff we've been talking about pretty much falls in there with just some extra stuff. And I mean, I, I would like to talk about it on the show, but I don't think any of us have really played it. Really, I've just looked it over, and I really like future settings far more than ancient and fantastic ones. No, I, I will. I, I will plug a, a system I like that I've actually used, and I really liked it because it has a relationship map system, so you can actually build relationships between your players and the environment. So they're not just sitting out there nowhere; they actually know people in various places, and they uh, and it helps you build the story. It's called Tech Noir, and it's a uh, cyberpunk setting, and it's a it's a very good one. The system takes a little, a little bit getting used to. It's a great setting. I especially like the way you build relationships between the players themselves and yeah. with NPCs and various locations. Okay, that sounds good. Well, that's that's a nice segue. Let's we're talking about plugging stuff. What about our own stuff, our tri-tech stuffs? How does cybernetics work in Fringeworthy? I mean, what what are we running? You know, there's going to be some issues here. What do you think is, uh, you know, you got, you got, okay, so obviously you got cybernetics that are going to have problems, like cybernetic limbs and stuff like that. But if you're an implant guy, you got a bunch of implants, so long as none of them are things that keep you alive, like a cybernetic heart or something like that, which in that, the settings we've been talking about, you don't need to do that. You can get a biological one. 
I can see you. You're here in this lunchbox-shaped brain carrier that's plugged into a steam-powered pump system that runs runs your artificial uh, oxygen and dialysis and food. But you try not to go insane for that time. You're cut off from all sensory input. Yeah, well, okay, if you guys are, are, are done encouraging our players to do this, <laughs> you know, you're going to see the cyberpunk more along the lines of, you know, the devices that you're going to be using. You get to another world where your cybernetics, which are fairly unintrusive, will kick back up, and then you can go and start adding in your, your uh, skill chips, or you yep. can uh, use your weapons that have a link to your your brain so you can as john said look down the sight of the rifle no matter which direction it's aiming in or you you're going to use the telepresence to run the drones or you, one of your eyes is cybernetic it kicks back in and now we can you can see all kinds of long distance stuff and infrared and ultraviolet to help you do your job better and or you, you know can, push push come to shove you have one cyber arm right you know you can you can get by with one arm uh-huh. On, the cyber, on, the, on the pathways for a little bit. Sure. You get, you get all, a long time. There's people out there on the pathways who are missing arms. Yeah. You know, having a cyber arm is not a bad right. deal. Or you can be wheelchair Joe when you're in the pathways. You know, basically your cyber legs are worthless. You're put you in the wheelchair. Yeah, but then now you got to wheelchair it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Push come to shove, you have one cyber arm. You know, you can, you can get by with one arm on the, on the pathways for a little bit. Well, you can end up on a low-tech world, and you're a freak. Here's this. You have this metal arm. What are you? You're a demon, and they try to burn you. Or you go to you go to another high-tech world, and your artificial limb is actually low-tech, and everybody's kind of giggling at you because you've got this antique. You're wearing Grandpa's arm. Yeah. Yeah. You don't use synthetic muscle uh, muscle in your in your arm. Yeah. Or you walk out on a walk out on a world of luddites where they reject technology. Mm-hmm. E- either that, or, or maybe you show up in a world and they're like, "Dude, you're really cool. I love your retro style." Yeah. You're like you're like the hipster, yeah, cyberpunk. hipster. <laughs> <laughs> or you're My on a world where they metal. they love metal. You become the prettiest girl at the party. Yeah, look at Bureau Thirteen. That's pretty much Shadowrun at that point. You know, you're you're dealing with magic and magic and computers. Right, and you've got monsters of various kinds that yeah. are running around. Yeah, it could be. But you, but you also have spirits, real spirits in the computers, too. Yeah, well, the ghost in the shell takes on a whole new meaning. Now, Weird Zone's where you can eat your cake and have it, too. you you got your cyborg. He's just fine. You know, he's like, oh, when we, we, we drop out someplace, you know? It'd be hard to get him maintained. Yeah. If, let's say, every 10 worlds you go to is a hypertech cybernetic-type world, well, you know, you're going to have to stockpile some stuff. I was talking about actually having going through the operation and having it installed. That would be a little difficult because you, you don't have the time to have that done unless you bring the doctor and the equipment with you. Well, I mean, you're there for about 30 hours, so you could do it. You just have to be really quick about it. It's a cut. It's a cut and run operation, right? It's yeah, and they certainly have a lot of that in cybers, yeah. Uh, cyberpunk. Yeah, Ripper Docs. Yeah, we just take your arm off and we hook up the new arm, and the nerve regrowth will take about a week. Right. You know? So, so make sure you keep taking these pills and keep this drip going. Because we know in Weird Zone, that's a great idea to be almost completely 
uh, incapacitated for days because nothing ever happens to your hab as it's floating through the weird space. Nothing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my players are like, does this happen every night? And I'm like, <laughs> I says, sure, as long as you keep making it funny. Sharknado. Right, right. Noram is a cyberpunk city. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there you go. So everything we've talked about is fine. Again, another cake and eat it too type of place. Uh, unless are there habs where the where it wouldn't work? All these unexplored environs you can go to. There could be a proper cyber cyberpunk archaeology sitting out there someplace. It's yeah. two hundred miles by two hundred miles by two hundred miles. Could you go to one where your cybernetics would stop working? Well, uh, sure. That's what magic cost is like. Yeah. Okay. All right. So so that could be an issue. Then you have incursion where you end up pretty much the norm. And there you actually can take time and sit down and get that extra shiny new arm that talks to you in a, in a, in a, in a sentient and like, oh, okay. Right. But in Fringeworthy, once you get that done, aren't you kind of tied to that node where you got it done? You're going to need to return. Get it maintenance and stuff. Yeah. Or fueled. Well, it just depends on how high tech it is. I mean, whether it's self-regenerating, there's a lot of issues. But yeah, you're right. But in Prince where you can go back versus like, you know, uh, Weird Zone. It may be a ways to go or you may, yeah. once you get there, you may have a ways to go. But it yeah. can certainly be done. All right. You can always go back and encourage it unless, of course, what you've done in that world means you can't go back. But, you know. So does anybody have any parting words that they want to say before I give the, uh, the, the end wrap-up? Uh, when it comes to net running... Try to do it real time instead of okay, you guys go off get some pizza while the net hack while the net runners do their business, because that just kills your game. If you can find some way of doing it real time so that the the net runners are also doing it in time with the pl- other players, nothing kills a game like having forcing half your team to go off someplace because the net runners are now in the VR environment. That's why we dispense with net runners and everybody selected cards. That was your special AI you played. So everybody was part of that thing, no matter what position they played on the team. And if you guys have any kind of resource that you that you come across, any kind of net running resource that would help make that happen, you know, make sure you post it on our site, either on the Facebook page or the or the forums or whatever. Let us know. Since this do it better, I mean, and in, in if you're using fate for your rules, it's just basically creating an advantage for the people who are walking around in their, in their skins, you know. So there's the different ways of doing it that doesn't force people to sit back and wait until the netrunners get done playing. Yeah, I think one of the best ways of doing it, and I mentioned this in another podcast, is mm-hmm. to fire up your copy of Bioshock 1. And when they do the hacking, they basically show this panel with these pipes inside there. you got to hook the pipes together. Oh, yeah. let the stuff flow from one end to the other without running into something that causes an alarm. You could use mm-hmm. that in your game as a, as a real-time thing. It, it, at the most, it would take 15 seconds for you to hack something. You'd have all the bone-biting, you know, knuckle-biting, trying to move these things around and get it done right. Or it, it, could, it could just resolve down to a skill roll. You know, you're trying to hack the other person's eyes so they can't see you. That makes this come down to a simple contested skill roll. And if you succeed, they can't see you anymore. Yeah, but that's not very funny unless you get to narrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, your game, what is the name of your game again? Uh, Chronicle Double Zero Book One or C00B1, keep it short. And you, you've got some other stuff for that, right? Don't you have some other things coming out that you got? Yeah, there's there's a card deck for for the GM, and then there is a uh, GM screen 
that I got to touch up real quick. And you've got you got some fiction being written for it coming down the pipe, right? Yep. What's the age group this game's for? I'd say 16 plus. You can run it younger as long as you filter the content. Okay. So is this this is a PDF download, right? Yeah, it's a PDF. We're past the halfway mark on on getting it to print. Once the the teaching term slows down a little bit, I'll I'll plug it some more. I just haven't had a chance to to really get out there and do anything with it because I've okay. unfortunately it's been pretty busy. It's put out by Dilly Green Bean Games, and that's all one word: www.dillygreenbeangames.com. And you'll see a link right for it on the the main page. But what is it? Uh, RPG now? Can you get it there? Yeah, you can get it at RPG now or drive through and or drive through. All right. Well, Jay, thanks for joining us for this episode. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me again, guys. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. Well, thank you very much. You guys have a good night. You too, too. Jay. Yeah. Sweet dreams. <laughs> oh, I will. All right, so we talked about everything you need to do to run a successful cyberpunk campaign. Uh, I, I guess just the, the big takeaway from this is, is it's dystopian. It's futuristic. It's a society where life is cheap. You know, you're always kind of on the run from one place to another. But don't forget to keep the wow factor in there. You know, don't don't make it totally dystopian to where the players always feel like they're always losing and, and always because that, that gets depressing. I've played those kind of games before. I've played those kind of cyberpunk games before, and it's it's just not fun. You got to keep the wow factor in there, you know, and feel free to steal from movies. I mean, that that's absolutely your one of your best resources. Space elevators make great adventures. Uh, moon bases make great adventures. As soon as your group starts to get stale or as soon as the game starts to get stale, launch them into space. Uh, stick them in the ocean. Do something really crazy and wild because the the genre fits that. But that's all we have for this show. Until next time. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. This is Jay Libby. The gamer generation is you. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be after your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.